Hey, imagine eight wild Mustangs have been let loose in a horse corral in a big arena. 60 people are there and they're watching as these frightened horses are trying to find a way out of the corral. They run in a figure eight nonstop, 20, 30 minutes and longer until they're exhausted. They're trying to find a way out. They want to get back into the wild open spaces. They've got humans there who want to help them because there's 50,000 Mustangs that are loose and wild and there's not enough land for them. And so the people that are there are watching so that they can learn how to help these Mustangs. So the Mustangs become exhausted and slowly but surely the humans start to build a relationship with them so they can be less anxious, feel less enclosed in, so they can be, become less fearful, understand that they have options and can build trust and they can save them. And so these wild horses go from being wild, fearful, untamed on a Wednesday to four days later being adopted and becoming a productive member of a herd. Today's episode is about wild mustangs and last chance employees and what the parallels are. It's with a great discussion with my friend and colleague, John Garrett, who has a program that helps last chance and struggling employees called Turning Point. He also owns horses and was there to learn at this seminar about wild horses and a horse that he was trying to save named Cody. And so we hear that story and we see all the parallels about wild Mustangs and last chance employees and how to help them. It's a powerful metaphor. Doing this episode made me re-remember, not that I don't already know this or I wouldn't continue to do the podcast, but made me re-remember why I want to do this podcast. I've always wanted to capture the good that people are doing in the world and good people. And um, you're going to get a lot out of this episode. We're going to be able to take this this keen insight that John Garrett has about helping Mustangs and show how he can show how it applies to struggling employees. It's going to give you key insight into vital leadership skills that you can use to help people become a productive member of the herd. I can't wait to share it with you. Michael, hit it. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. I am Susie Price, and this is the Wake Up Eagle Workforce podcast, where we cover everything related to helping you and the employees in your organization build a high commitment, low drama, wake up eager workforce. Hence the reason we call it Wake Up Eager Podcast or Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast. Bottom line, we want to help you and the employees in your organizations make good decisions and build this workforce that is eager, wants to be there, is committed in the right roles and doing great work and adding meaning to the world and meaning to everyone's life. 
Um, in the podcast, in this podcast, we talk about everything related to creating a wake up eager workforce. So we talk about hiring, we talk about onboarding, we talk about coaching, we talk about personal development, professional development, conflict resolution, and everything else related to being a human in today's workforce. And I have an opportunity to interview great people today, and I'm excited about this episode. It's episode 86. The title for this episode is Turning Points for Wild Mustangs and Struggling Employees uh, Using Leadership, Language, and Love. And the show notes for today's episode, you'll find them at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash turning point. Make turning point all one word, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash turning point. This is episode 86. Specifically, I've already given you some good hints on what we cover, but the three main focus areas are what it takes to help a wild Mustang become a productive productive member of the herd and how that translates into helping struggling employees experience a positive turning point. I'm going to share with you 10 things at the end that leaders must do to help a last chance employee. I'll summarize them at the end. So make sure you listen to the end to get the summary. But we talk about these 10 things plus more uh, during this uh, rich, full of goodness episode. And then why might you consider giving a struggling employee another chance? So I want to tell you a little bit about John's background because it matters in regard to the kind of work he does. We touch on it a bit, but I want to give you the full skinny. Uh, He's a very humble person. He takes things um, easy and isn't uh, somebody who talks about his accomplishments. So I want to highlight them here so you know who he is and why this makes so much sense, the work he's doing. Um, He's a native Mississippian. He has a BA from the University of Mississippi and a Master's of Divinity from Emory and has done doctoral work at Asbury. Um, He's got experience. I met him in the corporate world, but I've known him all these years and known that he works as a nonprofit as well as a church. He is the founder and executive director of Ridgeline, which is a network devoted to team effectiveness and leadership development. He has worked internationally. So he's been in Africa, Russia, Belarus, Honduras, uh, and China. He's been an adjunct faculty member. He's a certified human behavior specialist with TTI Success Insights. That's the company that I also work with. We use the same tools and assessments. Um, He has an advanced certification in PTSD intervention, uh, equine therapy, and is a certified tip trainer of wild Mustangs with the federal government. So you can see how it all ties together when you see what we're going to talk about today. His area of organizational focus is rapid change process on the individual level. And the service that he talks about is called Turning Point, sometimes called Last Chance Coaching. He is an elder in his church, and he and his wife live on a horse ranch, which we talk a little bit about. It's 40 miles south of Memphis, Tennessee. So you can go to the podcast episode to get the show notes at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash turning point. Let's go to the episode now. John, it's excellent to see you. We were just talking before the call about how much we talk by phone, but we hadn't seen each other since we're on video here. Excellent to see you. Appreciate you being here. Thanks for being you and welcome. Thank you, Susie. It's great to be on here with you. It's great for you to take the time. Uh, We're going to talk about your turning point coaching and uh, wild Mustangs today. So talk a little bit about, let's just jump right in, talk a little bit about turning point coaching in regard to 
you know, helping an employee who might be on their last chance. You know, what? Uh, so you've got somebody who's struggling in the role. You've got a management team who's probably conferred about it many, many times and is not sure what to do about it. Why would someone consider coaching someone who is maybe in trouble or at their last chance? Uh, why would they consider this? Sure. Gosh, that's a lot of good questions. Let me let me take the last one first. I do it because I love doing it, Susan. It changes the thermostat in an organization over the long haul, and it changes the employee's life uh, many times. The reason organizations do it is, is various. We can get into that a few in a few minutes, but it's basically a six-week, once-a-week meeting uh, based around the employee who's kind of on their Oh, for lack of a better word, last chance, but we call it turning point. And we use assessments, uh, something objective, uh, meeting with them once a week. And then hopefully we we end up being able to retain their employment with their organization. So in six weeks, you meet once a week, they do some assessments. Uh, How does it change the thermostat for the organization? You said that's one of the reasons you like it. What have you seen? Uh, Well, you know, at the end of the day, the only difference in companies really is the people in them. And uh, everybody knows, I think, uh, the, the culture will end up reflecting whether or not management's got their back or not. And uh, for me to draw alongside HR as a, a resource for a little while to try to salvage somebody they want to retain, but have, are having some challenges with that, it, that picks up and permeates the entire culture of the organization. And it's long term. It's just a it really changes the, the the thermostat and the temperature in the room. Yeah. So people people pay attention to how everybody's being treated. And so if they see, okay, somebody, they're trying to help this person. It, it may be under the radar, but the word gets out, right? <laughs> the word gets around. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I like the term turning point coaching too, because it is a more of an opportunity than a, a weapon or, you know, you better get better or... Uh, so I like I like that term for your pro, uh, program. That's awesome. And it has to be presented that way. I mean, you don't want to hide anything from an employee if they're struggling and the organization is struggling to retain them. But on the other hand, you can also communicate, and I will almost ex- I will exclusively do this that this is a real opportunity to uh, to really dig down to talk with somebody outside the organization, but nonetheless somewhat semi-officially tied to it, but nonetheless, there's one level removed. And to, uh, you know, to to go to some places and some coaching that perhaps uh, will reveal something that hadn't been talked about before. And we, we end up, the employee retains that job, which is a fabulous thing. Now, when it works, uh, why? What do you think happens that helps it work? So the companies have this employee, and I, I'm, you know, since you and I are both in and out of organizations, we see a lot of organizations who aren't too good at giving feedback or giving it honestly. So I know that probably how they got to this space, some of it has to do with not getting feedback soon enough. That's um, true. And of course, it's, you got to lay it on the individual too, because the individual has a responsibility just as much as the organization. But question for you is, when it does work, when there is a turnaround. Uh, what are some of the dynamics in play? Uh, is it something that, is it because somebody new came in and the person could start fresh? Um, is the organization acting or feeling differently? Is the, the employee acting or feeling differently? What What are some of the dynamics? Well, maybe I can use an example from, from uh, you know, from the past. Working with this young man one time that was, that was uh, employed in, in sales, basically, loan officer, but it was the same thing with a 
with a bank and just was struggling. The organization was struggling with him and he was struggling in the role. Uh, he was young, but that that really wasn't what was going on. And the CEO called me and said, you know, we, we, Sean, I, we'd like for you to take a look at this. So we went into a uh, turning point in six weeks and did a number of the assessments once a week. And at the end of it, I went back to the CEO and I said, you know, you've got you've got them in the wrong place. We, we're working with a round peg and square hole. And we moved them over. The CEO moved them over. And he is head of the department now. So, oh uh, my goodness! Yeah, it, it was a it was really a, a a win-win both for the organization and for the employee. Yeah. Yes, that is awesome. So I think you know sometimes I also think with coaching and you know there's magic in the process, but there's also magic in people getting attention and having some accountability. The attention, the positive attention, and the accountability together. I think is some of the magic sauce too. What's what do you think? Yeah, that that's that's a good point. The other thing that I want to stress in both the, the the organization and with the employee is that there's some levels of confidentiality that I'll I'll maintain. Uh, there are things that will need to be shared and things that perhaps don't need to be shared, and I I'm very comfortable with that. And everybody I've worked with have been comfortable with that too. So that. That allows the individual on the other side of the conversation to perhaps say some things to somebody a little bit outside the organization that perhaps they would not say to HR or to to their direct, you know, to somebody right above them in management. Yeah, so they get a confidant, and and you you have a you're a minister, and so as well as an executive coach, so. Um, you've got that wonderful mix. I know I always find you as being a good listener. The first thing you do when we get on a call, you know, just to check in as colleagues, you're like, how are you? You always remember the last thing. And there have been a couple of times where I've been worked up about something and you've kind of kind of counseled me through it just by oh, listening God. and caring and such. So I imagine that uh, that comes into play, too, doesn't it? You're too kind, Susie. Yeah, it it, it does. And uh I think people can pick up across whether it's in person across even across Zoom, whether or not you, you know, you really are you really care about what you're doing and whether or not you care about person on the other end. So yeah, that comes across. Yes, it does. It does. Yep, yep. So uh tell we we titled this program about coaching wild mustangs and you know last chance employees. And so, you know, getting them to a turning point. Tell us about training and coaching wild mustangs and how you relate those skills to coaching people who are in this place uh potentially losing their their position. Well, a lot of this came out of a course that I worked with, still working with him, whose name is Cody. He's from Wyoming. And um Cody had been rounded up twice. I mean, if there was a four-legged picture of PTSD, it, it was him. Oh. And we really we could not return him because with the Bureau of Land Management, it's a long story about the Mustangs, but short version, there are 50,000 Mustangs that are in holding areas all across the country because we have too little land and too many Mustangs. Oh, wow. I had no idea. That's amazing. Yeah. And we're tr- they, uh, there are a lot of organizations tried to move them out. Mustang Heritage Foundation primarily being the one. So if you get rounded up, twice and returned this is a this is really awful but the horses get put down because there there's something there that the bureau of land management decides there's nothing that can be done 
it'd be almost like a dog in a humane society that bites people or something. Maybe is that kind of what we might be more familiar with that, which is also sad, Um, but they don't know what to do with the horse. So that's kind of like their process. And there's a lot of times there's a reason that the horse is getting returned. And sometimes it's not the horse. Most of the time, if not all the time, it's not the horse's fault. Anyway, we got a hold of Cody and he was wild to the point of wild on capital W wild. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And yet we had to make it work. And so that whole thing about training a horse from the perspective of the horse I know this sounds a little uh, a little bit of a reach, but I could not. My job, he doesn't understand English, so I have to understand him. I have to be very patient. I have to look for the cues, and we have to take it inch by inch by inch until we get a breakthrough. And that's very similar if you stop and think about it, whether it's my life or your life where there have been turning points where we have to move past the anxiety, which is the greatest block, right? Fear is the greatest block in any conversation or in any stage of change to where the horse starts listening to me and I, and I primarily start listening to him. Mm-hmm. And so as a result of that experience with Cody, this turning point stuff really took off because I, some of this transfers and that transferred. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, understanding him. So what does that involve? I'm just really curious. So you've got Cody. He's now on your property. And tell me, you live exactly where? I have an idea, uh, but I'm going to We are in North your... Mississippi. We're 30 minutes south of Memphis. 30 minutes. Okay. Yeah. So he's on your property and you have other horses, but he's not mixing yeah. with the other horses. Not, not so at you've first. got him somewhere and yeah. you're trying to understand him and take his cues and take it slow until you get a breakthrough. What does that look like? Well, the, the, the first issue is trust, right? And that's true in a coaching relationship and a business relationship and any kind of relationship, really. Is there an element of trust? And the horse has no reason to trust you. Matter of fact, he has good reason not to trust a human being. Yes. Many, many times there's a reason, not just that he's wild, but that he's been shot at or he's been put through a uh, a corral process that's uh, that's been violent and sometimes brutal. So that first issue is trust. So I have to make sure none of my body language is threatening, that I don't talk very loud. And I stay away from them. There is a cue around a wild horse that you do not violate until you are sure that you can get within that body space. Oh, wow. So it's a it's a it's a while there. But a lot of times it didn't it didn't take would take very long. It didn't take very long with Cody. It took about uh, two days that he allowed me to slowly walk, walk up and and touch him on his nose. And that's all I needed that day. (laughs) I took a win. It got out of the corral at that point, but that was the start. Yeah. Wow. That kind of, I don't know why that touched me. I just have the visual. And of course we have pictures of Cody that I will put in the show notes, but that really touched me. I feel my eyes missed up a little bit about, I could just imagine you in a, in a, in a, what do you call that? Corral or corral, a, yeah, yeah. Well, most I know about farms and horses is from Yellowstone, <laughs> the TV series. So <laughs> I'm imagining that. So you've got Cody there and I can imagine you for a couple of days chatting with him, talking to him. And because I know you, I know how, what you were saying that you were being kind and he was, he was picking up on those vibes, I I guess. Yeah. Pat Pirelli likes to talk about love language leading the three L's of horse training. And some of that transfers to us, to humans. Yeah. Language, language, leadership. 
And who talks about that? You referred Pat, to somebody. Pat who I think is the finest horse trainer in the world. Pat, Pat likes to say, I don't train horses. I train the people that train horses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's Pat what? Pat Pirelli. Yeah. Pepperelli. Okay. It's just that, interesting. That, that was his creation, the three L's. And you know, if you stop and think about it, Susie, that really translates. If you think about yes, it, it does. The, the words you use, the fact that you you do think that there is a change possibility, which is about leadership, right? Because yep. you can't lead people to where they already are. You cannot lead people to where they already are. So you have to be willing to engage the horse but you know where you've got to take him because you've got to introduce him to the world of human beings and domestic horses, love language and leadership and love at at the end of the day, trumps everything else. I mean, he's going to pick up eventually whether or not you're on his side or not. Love language leadership. It's Pepperelli stuff. It's the finest in the world, I think. Wow. That that also translates in what you do and some of what, what I do. Yeah. Well, we're always talking about, you know, people before tasks, before ideas, or, you know, with the Hartman language, intrinsic is greater than extrinsic is greater than systemic. So yes, connection before precision, you know, so I love that this, it just translates to all beings and what a beautiful thing. So you touch his nose and then you just skedaddle out of the little corral there and say, okay, it's give him some space. Yeah. Pirelli and other people teach that you never, you never end a session with a horse and perhaps some of this translates too, Susie, you never end a session with a horse on a negative note. Right. In other words, when he gets something, when he learns something, you will you can tell when a horse has learned something because he'll lick his lips. Oh, wow. And when he does that, you leave, you, you get out because he's got it then. And you don't- He's licking it. his lips saying, yeah, look at me. I'm good. Well, I got he, it. He, yeah. He's, he's beginning to process and he's got the information and you never want to leave on a negative note. If he's done, if he's acted up, if you've had to correct him, and sometimes you do, that's the leadership part. Yeah. Um, you don't want to you don't want to walk out on that because he'll remember that. You want him to remember the positive aspect that he learned. And oh. then, then you come back and he's good, he's good. He'll pick that back up where, where you left him at that point. Okay, so that's also touching me because I just think it's so important, you know, that we have the conversations when you, when you translate the, to the humans in our world, when you have a conversation with somebody and, and maybe it's a tough conversation, especially somebody who's struggling in the role, you, you're still look as a good leader, you're still thinking about love and, and leaving them in a good place when you finish, that's you right. know, and so finish the coaching call or finish that conversation. So, and sometimes I think people hold back because they, well, you know, okay, they're struggling, so I can't give them any encouragement because they'll think they're okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so how, how do you kind of help leaders with that? I'm sure you've seen that where people are just frustrated and understandably so, because they've worked with this person and they're not working out and they think they've tried everything. They don't want to give any encouragement. They just want to tell them what's wrong. Talk a little bit about that and how you transfer that into your program. Well, they're telling what's wrong based on what they know, right? And, and we, we tend to, because of lack of time, we tend to go, you got to fix this, you got to fix this, you got to fix this. But most, a lot of times with so many of our interactions, we don't know what we don't know, right? To salvage something like this, a relationship or a horse, you, you've got to be willing to spend the time to slow it down, slow this thing down and be willing to engage at a different level. Mm-hmm. And that's what Turning Point does. That's wonderful. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Organizations really do need someone 
need you and someone like this and because there is a lack of time and there is a history of frustration that they bring to every conversation with someone who's struggling and they they might need a chance to the actual leadership chance, chance to reframe doesn't mean you don't hold somebody accountable but you've got to touch their nose when you leave the corral in order them to them to say okay I, i'm i'm actually going to move in a different direction you know yeah, you know you've got a problematic i mean i've done this with organizations I've been asked to lead on a short-term basis, but you got a staff person not, not working out. You get in a cycle of, um, look, we need to talk. Let, 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 let's let's step aside for a second and chat. You, you, know, you know the language, right? And you get right. in a cycle of this and uh, Turning Point breaks that cycle and at least kind of expands the parameters of the room, at least for a little while. And lets a little air in, lets a little light. Is it 100% foolproof? Of course not, but it it works most of the time, and uh, it's really exciting when it does. Yeah, that's amazing. So talk a little bit about, there's there's a, some notes that you sent me, so you're talking about the language, learning their language, and how that transfers is the, is the assessments, and that helps you understand who they are and how they think, plus just being with them, spending time, and slowing down what you've talked about. And then you talk about influence of the herd. Talk about that with the horses and then transfer that into this turning point coaching. And Gosh, that's a, well, I, I, let me, let me use an example of, again, with Cody. Cody came off the trailer, very frightened and not a domestic animal. He's just as wild as he could be. And we really weren't making a big breakthrough with him. He really didn't have his breakthrough until we had a storm one night. And I had inadvertently left the latch in the rush to get out of the lightning. I let it, I didn't secure it tight. And when I woke up the next morning, he was out with the herd and he did not have his uh, halter on, which means I really couldn't catch him uh, oh. for a while. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> well, that's interesting. How big a herd was he with? Yeah, my the, our, our domestic horses, the herd actually began to cultivate their relationship with him. How many of them are there? There were uh, there were four at the time. Okay. And so he so, got out and he's running around with them. He's running around with them and they were going, this is what we do. This is what we don't do. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. this is who is in charge and this is who's not in charge. And, and this is where we go. This is where we don't go. This is how we treat the human. This is how we don't treat the human. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, I really appreciate that part of it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Let us tell you about John. But, yeah. uh, but you know what? He gained weight. I could not put any weight on him in the corral. I couldn't figure it out because he was getting all he needed. And then when he got out with his own kind and relaxed, he went to the next level Aww. and um, began putting on weight and, and began to really thrive at that point. Well, that's, that's true for a lot of us. And if you, if you think about it, there are there are therapeutic approaches like people that go six weeks into a you know in in treatment or rehab or whatever, and they tell you you cannot go back into the culture you came out of. You cannot you cannot associate. I know it sounds harsh, right? But right. you really, but to use it a horse language, you really have to change your herd. In other yeah. words, to oh, yeah. to influence a change. So. To go back into the case of the young man, we moved him out of one herd into a different herd. A and different he, department. Yes. 
And it was probably a better fit because you were using the same, assess, same assessments that I use, which is, okay, what kind, what does the job need and what, what this are his soft skills and things? Yeah. That's yeah. right. But he began to run with a different crowd. He began to, uh, they began to ask different things out of him and, and like, just like the horse, he began to thrive. There is some overlap with all of that. Oh, I know you're being humble by trying not to say, uh, you know, be so direct about the overlap, but it's a ton of overlap. (laughs) So, so with Cody, he ran around with the herd and he was better. And with the example of the employee who changed departments and became the head of that department, being in a new department, sometimes a fresh start and, and probably even more than that, just being in the right role. That was a good fit for his talents. That's true. It it was the right role, but it was also, he was with a, a crowd of people, a different crowd that behaved differently, uh, thought differently, approached their job differently, but they were, they were all part of the same company and it's a great company by the way. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he was with a, uh, to use the language, uh, his role was different, but also his herd was different. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about hiring for job fit because so many times, you know, we get calls and it's like, oh, this person's not motivated or this person's failing or struggling or my team doesn't work well together. Half the time it's because they're in the wrong role. Right. You know, right. time not spent. People don't know how to really think about that outside of background and experience. And it's so much more than that. It, it is so much more than that. And I would, I would agree with you probably about 50% of the time they're in the wrong role. Sometimes there's a relational glitch in life. I mean, at the end of the day, there's uh, relationships are all we have, whether, you know, it's at home or at work or wherever. And coaching will end up uh, going down that path that they're probably not willing to go down in HR. You know what I mean by that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's and, more personal things going on and they need a they need a confidant to discuss it a little bit. Uh, we see that all the time. If you look at the Hartman with the role awareness, role awareness is low. So they're not seeing where they belong. And sometimes that's professional and sometimes it's personal. And when it's personal, there's been, you know, a death, there's a divorce or something and, and or struggles. And um, that impacts performance because you're all of that's taken up all your mind space. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, mind space for my our peer group, and this is interesting stuff we don't have time to get in today, but the mind space within the um, the younger crowd is a different mind space now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Say more about that. Well, I, I gosh, I, I'm, I, I'm not sure I've got quite the handle on all of that, but they have so been attuned to the screen uh, where you and I were not. We were raised with books, right? Now we've gotten familiar with this uh, and comfortable with it to a certain extent, but they they are very, they're, they're a different group. It's a wonderful group, the, the Zs and all that, but the mind space is a little, it's, it's almost like a different herd, mm. almost, almost like a different herd. And so to learn the language is, uh, is a learning curve that I'm trying to get up speed on now. <laughs> yeah. You come with the love and you got the leadership. It's the language part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it. Ever, ever evolving for all of us. Talk a little bit about why I know you said you like uh, helping take change the temperature and employees, but not everybody says I'm going to take the, what I would say the hardest challenge um, the most sensitive challenge, and I'm going to make that a cornerstone of my business. Well, why have you? De- why is this part of who you are and what you do? I think it. I think it shows me. 
I don't, I'm not, I don't think I chose it. And the organization I've been with for a long time, they ended up giving me the hardest uh, franchises, a local, it was the church world. And uh, I'm not sure I would have chosen that, but I ended up uh, thriving in it and uh, being of real service to it. And there, a, a lot of times the, uh, uh, you re- you run into relational blockages there without going into great detail. So, uh, and and then and, and then in the church world too, Susie, you you end up talking with people, and then they with you. That you really there's an intimacy and an opening there that I'm not sure is available to a lot of other professions. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if it can be done or said or thought, you will end up hearing it and working with it. Yeah. And uh that's a pretty rich set of conversations right there. Yeah. Sometimes it's very it's spooky and uh even threatening uh first time you hear some of it. But nonetheless, we you you know you were I believe it's redemptive at the end of the day that there's a chance at that. And many times that's what occurs. So both in the organizational side of my work and also the the uh individual side it's been something that's occurred i didn't choose it it more it chose me but i've i've i found a level of success in it and it's been a and it still is a, a great journey right now and i think it's what's unique about you john is that you have a capacity to go deep even if someone doesn't want to so they may go you know so in other words talk more richly about what's really going on they may not share everything but they may share more with you because there's an there's an understanding of your ability to hold the space oh that's you know, to be with them you know you could tell when somebody does not want you to say well you know i kind of feel a little left out or you know you could tell when it's you know like okay i just spoke to the air because you know mm-hmm. but with you you would listen and say well say more about that i mean you would be right there, wherever the employee is. You're not going to try to take them anywhere they don't want to go, but you're there if talking about it would be helpful. So it's like being a counselor without being a counselor. I mean, it's coaching, you're helping them reach an objective, uh, but you have you bring this extra piece um, and that's the heart of service. Uh, you know, somebody who's going to go save a horse like Cody and you do that with people all the time, that's a special individual. Oh, you're, you're kind. Well, Susie, you're, you know, I, think the world of what you do too so it's <laughs> i feel like i've learned a lot from you so uh uh if there's been any reciprocation here i i'm grateful for it i think we've known each other i don't know since like i don't know 2005 15 yeah. i don't know i've been in business 20 years and seems some like 15 years ago maybe even i don't even know if it was that long but yeah well when i when i think of the uh, top of the pyramid for consultants particularly with the group that we're with i i think of you and you're the oh, best thank you Thank you. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, oh, I do want to ask you one question. You sent me a video of horses running into the corral, wild horses running into a corral uh, the first time. Give the context for that. We'll put that in the show notes. So you see a bunch of beautiful horses uh, running in and they run a a loop. It's a 15 second video at the most. What does that represent? What was that? So this was at a, uh, a conference I went to actually not very long ago. It was Pat Pirelli. He uh, put this on in Acola, Florida. And he very, I think this was the very first time he did this with a herd of wild Mustangs. And he took them for three days. It was a three-day conference. And he took this herd, uh, and we see him in, in this clip, 
coming into the arena for the first time. And they are scared to death. And what the clip is a very short, you know, seven or eight seconds. But what the clip doesn't show is that they ran around in a circle and in and out in figure eights for 20, 30 minutes. Wow. They, they would not stop because they're looking for a way out. Oh, wow. Oh, anywhere they could get out into the open again, they were looking for it. And until they had exhausted themselves, they weren't going to stop. And eventually they did. And that's when the humans began the slow process of, uh, of approaching them. And in three days, they had Pat Pirelli's young interns with a saddle on those horses and riding them away. And they were adopted and people took them home. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh my gosh. In three, they went from crazy wild in, in, on uh, Wednesday to adopted on Saturday morning. So it, it was great. It's great. So that was uh, what was it? What kind of what was like the name of the conference? Not the official name, but like it was it like how no. to train all the mustangs or what was it? Something like yeah, that. It was. I, I'm forgetting the the title of it, but basically he. Uh, the objective was to train you to train horses. Yes, that that that's his yeah. whole approach. He says, "I don't train horses. I train the people that train horses." Yeah. So a lot of this could translate over to domestic horses, but there was there were a number of us there that also worked with Mustangs and we wanted to see the master at work. And I fear, I really believe Pat Pirelli is the best at what he does. And it, it was wow. amazing. It was an amazing time. Yeah. You think about somebody who's struggling in their role and they're about to lose their job and maybe they have a lot of other outside circumstances pressing on them or internal relationships that are stressing them out. And you think about the horses running in that figure eight until they're exhausted. I mean, that's the kind of frenetic energy that you can feel and see from somebody who's struggling. Right. right. Absolutely. And if you stop and think about it, um, when you and I have gotten that way, Susie, if you stop and think about it, our minds are going in circles. And we tend not to be able to concentrate on anything other than the loop, the loop, the loop, the loop. Yeah. Safety, safety, safety. Let me get to what I know. That's right. And and until something can break that uh, cycle, horses and people will continue running in a circle, not going anywhere. And so something has to break that cycle. And for them, they just had had to put them in a corral and a human construction, slow them down. And that's me and you sometimes when our brains start running that loop. Uh, let's slow this thing down. Let's look at something else. You know, the, old, the Latin word for anxiety is enclosure. Did you know that? Oh, no, I, I did not. I, I, I shouldn't have said, did you? I, I'm, you probably have heard this. I but, did not know that. No, I did yeah. not. And so uh, when the horizons broaden, for almost all of us, uh, the fear and anxiety drops when we have options, right? And you're giving uh, an employee more options than what they have. Wow. At the, at the end of six weeks, they have more options than what they had at the first of the six weeks. And the horses do too. That's amazing. Okay. Thanks for showing that video. It's going to be in the show notes. Let's talk a little bit about you and your career so people can get to know you a little bit. Who's most influenced you? And what are some things they said and did that made a difference to you in your life? Well, you know... I, I, that was a great question in the notes that you sent me. I, I got to thinking about that. I'd have to include a grandfather who introduced me to the outer doors, um, the whole, you know, creation, if you would. And um, that's still a bit, very big part of my life, obviously. And think about people along the way that they, at the right time, at the right moment, 
used the right language. <laughs> you know, they they cared about me. They used, I, I can still remember, you can probably still remember people speaking into your life that both positive and negative, right? Yep. Yep. Definitely. People, they, they said something that stuck with you and it came true. And so I like to talk about, and this is not original with me, the power of positive prophecy, three, the power of positive prophecy, where you are speaking uh, words that you believe positive into somebody's life, like somebody did with me back along the way. And then you have to live into it and has to, you have to live into that. And then it comes true. And then you look back and say, gosh, he, that's, that's what he said, you know, kind of thing. And that's proven true for me with a grandfather figure, a great uncle, uh, associate minister of a church one time, a supervisor uh, in a church, uh, what we called a district superintendent. And they simply spoke things and, and stayed with me long enough that, man, th- those were turning points in my uh, career and continue. I continue running people. You're extremely positive, Susan. I really, I really admire that about you. You're extremely positive. I don't know where you got that, but, uh, or if you cultivated that, but that's a, I bet you, you use that power of positive prophecy with even without using that language. I bet you, you, you do that. Mm-hmm. I wrote it down because I like the languaging of it. Yeah. So I just think it's important to look for, for what's good in people. Sure. You sure. know, and I just lean that way. Sure. So. But that I think I've cultivated that too, you know, over time. So let's talk about waking up eager. That's what we talk about here a lot. What are the things that you do mentally in your body and in your spirit to um, have wake up eager days? I, you've cultivated a great life with your family and your sons and your land and work that you love and making a difference, you know, what are things that you do daily to kind of continue that and have, that helped you get to where you are today? Mind, body, spirit. So which one first, Susie? Mind, body. Whatever one. Whichever one. Anyone. Yeah. You pick. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about a 24-hour cycle here for just a second. This, this is what works for me. It doesn't necessarily work for everybody, but it works for me. I have to have, I have, to have a, a quiet time in the morning. I, I cannot get up and I, I wake up eager, but I don't wake up working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like that differentiation. And when no, I no. you wake up happy yeah. and you're going to go be quiet, you're going to pray and read maybe, or yeah, I don't wake up. Yeah. Susie, do you ever see a thoroughbred wake up and immediately run a race? No, no, no they don't do that, do they? Mm-mm. So there is a waking up process. Uh, I wake up eager most, most days. And, uh, but I have to have a quiet time where I slow it way down, cup of coffee, my room, pray, read, listen. To, and, and if I miss that, gosh, my entire day is different. So that's that's more of a, you know, they're also interconnected. Yeah, that's okay. The So let me move on. I also find some time each day to get outside and do some something physical, something physical labor. And there's always something to do on the place. And I learned that from our Catholic friends, particularly the the old monastic orders. The, you ever visit a monastic like the Benedictines, and or whether it's nuns or monks, it doesn't matter. But they have a cycle of the day of worship, prayer, physical labor, and they go in and out of that mind, that. body, spirit, and, and, and including uh, what they call spiritual reading. And they move through those cycles through the day. 
And I learned that that they, that I, I learned not to feel guilty for going outside and taking an hour or two and just getting dirty and physical work, you know, because what it ended up doing was making the rest of the day much more richer and productive. I went to a management class one time. They said, you can divide your day up into three sessions, morning, middle, and evening. And mo- some of you can work all three phases of the day for a long period of time, but you will, none of you will eventually last doing that. So you pick two of those phases. You can pick morning and evening and go do something in the afternoon, or you can pick afternoon and evening, or you could pick, you know, yeah. but you can't do all three. You can't go yeah. wide open seven days a week. And no. I, I learned that to my, I learned the hard way on that one. So that that's something. And then the third thing, just to pull this together and be through with it, that I have to have solitude and I have to have community and and I have to have a balance in between. It's just not people or relationships all the time because you never get to the, the deepest source, you know, in, in, in my worldview, which is the creator and um, the way he has shown himself. At the same time, if I get too uh, secluded and too much into consulting or too, too much into one-on-one or in, on the computer, I lose that intimacy with the community. And I miss that. And I, I, I realize my life is the poor for that. So I have to I have to move in between those two, between solitude and community back and forth in order to lead a balanced life, if that makes any sense. Yes, yes. Love it. Perfect. Yeah, work, and that includes outside, quiet, and also community, those three things. I think I hope that people are finding more time to take those breaks now that people are having the option to work virtually a little bit more because you do get in a corporate environment and sometimes maybe you feel stuck. But even then I can remember I worked for Oracle a Corporation and we were in this big high rise. So I would work and then there was an upstairs, there was a on the rooftop a garden. It was a high rise in 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 Atlanta, uh in uh, the Alpha Abernathy, uh, which is North Atlanta. But I can remember I would just go up there and walk around and just right. I mean whether I had the time or not, I needed to because I needed sure. the fresh air. And it was like I was just a little, I'm not a sit in a corporate building kind of person. So today living up here in Big Canoe, I go walk my dogs. I mean, I just work and work and personal are all kind of intermingled. Um, that's one of the beauties of it. Like I don't separate them. Sometimes I'm working on a Sunday because I need to get caught up and I want to, but it's because I chose to, um, but I might've played all day Wednesday, <laughs> you know? So that's the beauty of having your own business. And hopefully with people virtually, they're finding that ability to where I, I just don't differentiate as much, you know? Yeah. I love what you said about community too. Yeah. So I think we I think we get tied to the blue light a lot closer, a lot more than what we recognize, uh, whether that's the computer or the TV or the cell phone. And it adds up over time. And that's not real connection, as as you as you know. And uh gosh, as you um, you know, all we have to do is lose our cell phones for five minutes and we're all hyperventilating. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm a little like a gen- generation Z around that. I can relate to that. Yeah, bit. so being able yeah. to get away from that and being able to engage into reality yeah. uh, is a healthy thing for us all. You know, your move to the North Georgia, when y'all moved up there, I mean, your, your level of uh, probably, I, I don't know, what was it like 
I, obviously, you've enjoyed it. We've talked about this. Yeah, yeah. I got out of the urban scene and moved more into the mountains. Yeah. So you've yeah, experienced this yourself. Yes, yes. The nature part. And uh, yeah, it's just, I can't explain the calm, but it's just, I feel a lot calmer sure. and more pleased, you know, so it's nice. I'm, ha- I'm happy for you. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, uh, last couple of questions. Yep. Um, uh, what advice would you give your younger self? Gosh, that one's that was the one that stumped me. Uh, would it have made any difference? You know? <laughs> You're not sure because you, you want to sure. listen. Yeah. Uh, You're pretty uh, strong-willed, so you probably just do I'm, things when you're ready. Well, I was at 25. I'm not sure that would have made any difference. Uh, have you changed a lot since you were 25? I think so. I hope so. Yeah. I think the 25-year-old is still there. I'd like to think, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, you know I, I would like to think there's been some maturity there. The, the I think there I think there's an initial, you know, I don't have many regrets, Susie. I mean, not that, you know, you couldn't go back and, you know, redo some things or not say, or say, or, you know, whatever. I mean, everybody makes mistakes. I've made my share. But Joyce Meyer likes to say, you can't get to where you, where you are unless you've been where you were. You can't get to where exactly. you, you can't, yeah. you cannot have gotten to where you are if you hadn't been where you were. Yep. So the journey has been a fabulous one. It's still continuing, thank God. So I'm not sure if I would have told the 25-year-old uh, version of myself. <laughs> anything. Uh, anything. Yeah, because it's all worked out. I mean, you you love your life. And like you say to Joyce Myers, you know, what what got what that's what got you where you are. That, yeah. that, that's right. Now, would um I, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I would have I, I, but, you know, it's a great question. And so at the end of the day, maybe not to have worried so much. Uh, you know, yeah. when you're in that stage, you're worried about career and yeah, relationships and, you know, the next move and all that. Where do you fit in and where do you don't fit in and all that kind of stuff. And then, hey, hey, just it's going to be OK, you yeah. know, and we don't believe that at 25. Uh-uh. That there's a purpose guiding our lives. We don't believe that. Or, or a lot of a lot of 25 years of them. And so if you push me on that, I, I would say that's the one piece. Yeah. 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 That's good. I would never push it, but I like what you uh, share. Okay. So, <laughs> so if you could put a billboard up for the world to see, where would you put it? What would it say? Would it be around turning point coaching and you know, don't give up, or would it be around it wouldn't be on anything I do? Love language leading. Um well. I again, I, I I thought that was a great question. Uh, so so kind of like your message. If you had a, if you could send a message to the world, what would you say? Well, let me tell you. Uh, uh, give you a short answer as quick as I can. I was flat on my back when I was twenty one with a life threatening illness, and a and a friend of my mother's walked into the room. I never saw her again. Never saw her before. Never saw her again. Wow. Mm-hmm. And she gave me this little book by Henry Drummond, put in a shameless plug here, called The Greatest Thing in the World. And it's built around 1 Corinthians 13. And if, if, if you had to push me on this, and, and Paul said, look, I can have faith, I can have hope, I can have the gift to move mountains, I could change it all. But if I don't have love, I'm, I'm, no, I'm really nothing, you know. So at the end of the day, it's how much do you care? How much can that, gosh, not, and, and resource doesn't even do it justice or asset. How, how much can that eth- ethic value 
Spirit, let's talk about it in terms of that. How much can that be cultivated? And how much can you learn? How much capacity have you got for that simple word love? It takes a lifetime to figure that out, really. We don't learn. I mean, that's not something that we're just, we're born with that capacity, but it also has to be learned too. So that's the greatest thing in the world. It's a great little devotional book. It's about 100 pages. It's kind of old school, but it changed my life. And uh, so if you push me on a billboard, I would put the greatest thing. I would put those four words on it, L-O-V-E. Uh, I'm a big John Wesley fan, and he understood that at the end of the day, God is love. I mean, that was the whole yeah. concept of Wesleyan theology. So Yes, you're, yes. You're pushing me on that, but that's a good push. Yeah. Yeah, if I had Love to put it on the billboard, uh, which I'd rather not do, but if I had to, if I had to frame it down, that's what it would be. Yeah, awesome, awesome. It makes sense. It's beautiful, and we'll we'll put a link to that book in the show notes so people can find it. That'd be great. Thank you. So, as we close, yeah. let's talk about one last bit of advice. So, people listening, they're either someone who is struggling. Uh, in their work, or they may know someone who's struggling because they're on their team and they're curious about the wild horses and the coaching, you know, talk a little bit about some takeaway wisdom or advice uh, around uh, the situation when you have someone who's struggling. Change is possible. Three words, change is possible to, to not give up. And that change does occur both individually and both corporately. And when it, when it occurs, when, a, when an organization, you know, not, not to mention the money they save with the recruiting somebody else and the retraining, all, all the money issues aside and, and all of that. But if you have an employee that they know that organization's gone the second mile, you've got, and in many cases, probably you've got an employee for life mm-hmm. that will have your back and will ride for the brand, to use that language of the horse and cowboy in the old West, they'll ride for the brand the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. So yeah, change is possible. Three words, change is possible. There we go. Love it. And you're the man to do it. Thank you, John. You're great. Susie, always a pleasure talking with you. We'll talk again soon. And this was a real privilege being on this. I really appreciate the time. Uh, I look forward to sharing it with everybody. And I appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. So I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. I promise you that I would give you 10. I actually have 12 things that are kind of my favorite thoughts. So I want to restate some of the things um, that we cover in this episode that I thought were very poignant and could be key takeaways for you and for me and everybody listening. First, you cannot lead people to where they already are. Such a wonderful statement about you've got to see them where they're going and what's possible. So you cannot lead people to where they are. Next thing that we talked about is touch their nose when you leave the corral. Um, And that's what he's talking about when he makes his first connection with Cody after they'd had some challenges. And he says, never leave on a negative note. He'll remember that. You want him to remember what he's learned. So for you, as you're helping employees to working with, touch their nose when you leave the corral, leave them with something positive, something that they did well so that they remember what they learned. Number three, you have to be willing to spend time and be willing to engage at a different level. I like that he brought weave that in throughout the whole conversation about slowing things down 
so that you can learn. You know, so it's like the horses that got worn out as they ran the, uh, the elliptical eight for a long time, slow things down um, so something new can be happened. So it's, you have to be willing to spend time and be willing to engage at a different level. And so that is what his service is too, because that is how he engages with you. Um, if you're his friend or his colleague, or he's helping you, helping you in your organization. Number four, train from the perspective of the horse. Understand him. Take in the clues or the cues. Take it slow until you get a breakthrough. Um, so that's powerful. We often want to hurry because there's a problem and we want to fix it. But we got to find their perspective. We got to take it slow and then we will get a breakthrough. But you got to be willing to slow down for that to happen. He talks about fear is the greatest block. And so you think about somebody who's struggling, they're in fear. And so the greatest block is to how do I reduce the fear so that they can do the next thing, which is the first issue is trust. So I've got fear and then we've got to figure out how do I help build trust um, so that they can overcome the fear and then allow you to help them. The horses aren't going to allow you to help them because they don't have any trust and they're trying to guard themselves. Very similar parallels there. And one way you do that, what he learned from the horse trainer, Pat Pepperelli, is use love, language, and leadership. So we want to use, think about being a leader. We want to think about the language that we use, and we're going to use love. And he talks about number eight point that I want to make is realize the power and goodness of the herd. So how can the rest of the team help someone acclimate? Um, and in this case, Cody acclimates to his farm and his herd by hanging out with the herd. They can help him. And then some of my favorite parts here are something to really think about. It's a very simple statement, but boy, it has a lot of meaning is that relationships are all we have. Relationships are all we have. So that's that always putting people first, putting the intrinsic before the extrinsic, before the systemic. Um, doesn't mean we don't pay attention to all the doing and all the ideas and all the things that must happen. We've got to think about the people dimension first. So relationships are all we have. Number 10 point is the power of positive prophecy. The power of seeing something that somebody can't see for themselves. The way I've heard it explained, and I often see this visual in my mind, is they're in a fog and they can't see anything other than the fog. And so we put shine a light to the path of the way out. So we have a flashlight showing them. And so oftentimes that flashlight is us looking for their goodness, looking for their possibility, not seeing them for the wild horse that they are running in an eight elliptical eights and trying to get away, um, but seeing them for where they could be and what could happen. So the, the power of positive prophecy. I love the spiritual language that John uses. And I said there were 10. Now I, I, I did say that I did have 12. So here's two more. This meant a lot to me. Anxiety is the Latin word for enclosure. So think about all the people or yourself, even that if you have anxiety, the Latin word for that is enclosure. So I am enclosed. I have no options. I'm running elliptical eights. I'm running circles because I don't see any options. But when horizons broaden, fear and anxiety drops. Horses and people need to know that they have options. So remember that when you see, when you know somebody's struggling, how do you help them know they have options? And the last point is important, and it's change is possible. Do not give up. 
And then John said it again, change is possible. He is realistic. He said it doesn't always work, but we have to have that mindset or that hope and express that hope to the individual that it is possible. So quickly about John's program, Turning Point, it's a it's a coaching effort. It saves the company considerable expenses, which we talked about. It demonstrates the willingness of the organization to go the second mile in its efforts. He uses assessments, the same tools that I use. So I know that you're getting good information there. Um, and one of his participants, I want to just read this to you in case you're considering this. This is John is the person that I refer people to when they have one of these situations. But this is a, a quote from a client. John is a wealth of knowledge. His professional training is a guided self-discovery process. During the course of the program, I was able to identify areas of my personal attributes that affect my professional career and business interactions. Through discussions with John, we were able to find ways to turn these attributes into strengths. Additionally, John was able to help identify some areas of weakness, which as a team, we were able to improve. John's program gave me guidance to help further my career as well as increase my personal aspirations. So that's somebody who went from I'm struggling to making a big turning point. He also has this interesting program where he does leadership lessons with Mustangs. So it's the equine assisted learning. So it's a three hour team event and it combines some of the things that we talked about with um, working with adopted Mustangs. It's, It's an outdoor experience in trust, anxiety, teamwork, and leadership. And so online individual coaching is offered prior to the morning at his place called uh, On the Ridge, and it's followed by a morning group's on-site session with John and the Mustangs and a catered lunch. So uh, I thought that was interesting. I'd like to attend something like that, and maybe you do too. So you can find John's contact information at um, our podcast notes at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash turning point. His webpage is ontheridgeline.com. And, um, but you can also go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash turning point. Make sure the turning point is all one word and all lowercase. And this is episode 86 on the Wake Up Ego Workforce podcast. Our directory can also be found at wakeupegoworkforce.com. If you'd like to get our app, we do have an app where the episodes will show up automatically or like to leave a review, go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash review. Giving a review helps other people find us that may benefit or be inspired by something we're doing, which I would love to love to have that happen. So if you'd like to subscribe or leave us a review, go to pricelessprofessional.com forward slash review, and it shows you how to do that. And if I can help you in any way, uh, give me a shout. Or con- my contact information is pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Susie. Got some more great episodes coming your way. Can't wait to see you again. Meanwhile, continue to stay well, be happy, uh, lead with love, and uh, wake up eager every day. We'll talk soon. Thanks. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 